0: <clears throat> Everyone, just to let you know, we'll start the presentation in about one minute. We're just waiting for people to file in and get settled. Everyone, we'll start the presentation in about thirty seconds. Uh, we're still waiting for uh, people to come in and get settled. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast, Transform Safety Management and Reduce Risk with AI, sponsored by CompScience. This is Alan Ferguson, Associate Editor at Safety and Health and co-host of the On the Safe Side podcast, and I'm moderating today's event. First, thank you so much for joining us. And before we get started, I need to cover a few preliminary items. As a disclaimer, the views of today's speakers and organization are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise project, or publication does not mean the magazine or the council endorses those items. After today's presentation, we'll conduct a question and answer session with our speakers. If you have a question, click the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen, type your question and press the send button. We welcome your questions at any time during today's event. You don't have to wait for the Q&A to begin. Now we might not get to every question, but the good news is any unanswered questions will be forwarded to today's sponsor. Also, after this presentation, you'll be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey, and I'll tell you more about that a little bit later. later. This webcast will be archived so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast and all of our past webcasts, please visit safetyandhealthmagazine.com events. And with that, let's introduce our speakers. With us today are Josh Butler and Christopher Mizell. Josh is the CEO at CompScience and an executive leader and entrepreneur with 20 years of experience building tech products, including NEO's self-driving car and safety analytics platform. Christopher is the head of loss control at CompScience as an executive with 10 plus years of experience in occupational safety and health. He's also a former vice president of risk control at Captive Resources. Josh, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away.
1: Thanks so much, Alan. Um, Really huge thanks to the National Safety Council for having us today. Um, This is really a super exciting time for uh, safety professionals to get more proactive with uh, AI-powered tools. Uh, A lot of safety teams are leaning in on these new technologies, and today uh, we're going to dig into the core problem that too often is holding companies back from investing in improvements that prioritize worker health, safety, and wellness. And the key here is that um, worker wellness is good for the bottom line, uh, and we're going to show you how to prove it. Uh, so like you heard, I'm the uh, CEO and founder of Comp science. Uh, my background is really in um, computer vision and data analytics originally. Um, I started off in the safety space working on auto safety features. Um, you know, these are vision- based perception modules uh, that I was working on. For applications like automatic emergency braking, lane keeping, adaptive cruise control. And um, really, I, I dove into the workplace safety space when a family member of mine was unfortunately injured while operating some heavy machinery on a construction site. So I built Comp Science as a response to the breakdown in communication uh, that happened there. And frankly, too often um, leads to safety getting the short shrift. Uh, you'll also be hearing from Chris in a little bit. Um, and I, I guess what you could say is you'll be getting um, a little bit of a combination of traditional safety and next generation safety technology today. So uh, excited to be here. So let's take a second and share what we do at comp Science. Um, thanks to recent advances in visual AI and data science, we've been able to make it really super easy for safety teams to upload video to our intelligent safety platform. Uh, We then enrich that data with AI and data science, um, leveraging a combination of insurance data and the hazards that we detect in that video. Then we make it available via an interactive safety web application. Um, You can see the risk reports and the dashboard here on the right. Um, Those have predictive metrics, they have heat maps and recommendations as well. Um, And we also provide competitive workers' comp insurance quotes that come with our safety technology bundled in as well. So in short, uh, we're combining science and workers' comp to break down the barriers and keep people safe. So really quick, let's go over what we'll be talking about today. Uh, Chris will be introducing the core challenge, and that's really um, how do you obtain resources for worker health and safety. Myself, uh, I'll be speaking to trends and technologies that are transforming the practice of EHS. And then, um, and then finally, I'll, I'll provide a model for putting these insights um, uh, from these predictive analytics tools like ours into practice and taking really taking our profession to the next level. So with that, I'll pass the baton off to Chris, and he'll speak to the challenge in uh, EHS today. Here you go, Chris.
2: Excellent. Thank you, Josh. Um, like you mentioned, we'll start with a challenge. A um, few things. We have the age-old battle between productivity and safety. Uh, we have limiting factors to manual observations. And really the big one, the cumulative nature of ergonomic injuries. It's, it's really not difficult for like a serious back injury to reach a million dollars. We've seen that. Uh, first, prevention is woefully underinvested. I wanna start with a statistic. Can you believe that on average, only 2% of the $55 billion spent on workers' compensation expenses typically goes towards safety and prevention? This just is not enough. Uh, There's uh, on average about 2.8 million non-fatal injuries every year, and that's in the US alone, and more than 360,000 workplace fatalities worldwide annually. And uh, even with an available budget, oftentimes productivity is still prioritized over safety. The ROI for safety is there, uh, everything from direct savings on medical costs to paid time off and litigation. Uh, It just really takes the investment. Safety typically has a lot of stakeholders with responsibilities tied to it. Uh, With medium and even some large companies, safety may not even fall to one employee. Uh, Each of these key stakeholders have different metrics that they follow, and if you can't speak their language, uh, you can't convince them. This is why the safety field is so underfunded. Safety professionals need to understand and use the metrics that are relevant to others. Uh, The whole team needs to be brought to the table around a safety improvement. And in this presentation, we're going to show you how to do uh, just that. Safety controls are too often seen as disruptors to productivity. Um, A few years back, actually, the NSC released a worker survey, and it reported that nearly two-thirds of employees in the construction space felt that productivity is prioritized over their own safety. And it wasn't just construction. Agriculture and another of other industries scored similarly. Um, Production should not come at the cost of our employees' safety. It's truly a balancing act between um, productivity and safety. Safety mitigation efforts often take time to realize their true impact, and because of this, it's often harder to justify them uh, as an expense. Consider how many of us have likely seen pushback on safety initiatives because of a perceived hindrance to productivity, and how often does safety actually win? Too often, safety and productivity are seen as in conflict with each other rather than working in tandem. But safety and productivity don't need to be mutually exclusive. A data-driven look at the hazards can often lead to mitigation ideas that don't negatively impact productivity. Uh, For example, this client that we worked with, they were aware of a problem they were having where employees were jumping over the conveyor line. They were trying to maximize the time they had on on lunch break. Rather than going out and around, they were hopping right over. Um, after we brought it to their attention, uh, their corrective action was to kind of retrain, talk to the employees, tell them that no jumping was allowed, and they were convinced that they had the problem solved. Uh, unfortunately, what our data showed, however, was that there were still hundreds of instances happening. Uh, So when the client was considering the cost of a single injury of this type, it was clear that a lift gate would be significantly less expensive. Uh, So they were able to make the the pitch for a lift gate. They got their budget approved and the lift gate essentially totally eliminated the problem. Uh, Here's a great example of the types of events we can capture with the AI. Now, if you were driving that forklift, would you have gone and told your boss that you just crashed into that post? Uh, Possibly not. Self-reporting is inconsistent at best, Uh, not to mention employees usually adjust their behavior when they know someone's watching them. This is referred to as the Hawthorne effect, and it can actually skew data that's being reported during manual inspections. Ergonomic issues, such as overexertion and bodily reactions, are the leading cause of injury in most industries. With the total cost of a single strain or sprain injury approaching $68,000, ergonomic issues are typically the most expensive injuries as well. Ironically, ergonomics is one area where there are currently no OSHA standards. Uh, Because ergonomic issues are typically an accumulation of unsafe postures and unsafe movements over time, they've been historically difficult to quantify and track until now. By utilizing automated safety analytics, safety professionals now have access to significantly more data than ever. This allows them to truly address the causal factors of injuries. Uh, we can more accurately identify what we call hot spots or areas of with a high level of unsafe behaviors. This also allows safety efforts to be more focused. Uh, like here with this client, uh, we were able to help their safety manager recognize a pretty significant exposure to workers on this line Uh, After installing a number of A-line tables to adjust the working height, the client saw a 59% reduction in all high-risk bends. And actually, there was a huge unexpected victory. After a short trial period with the new tables, uh, there were several employees that were actually mentioning uh, to their managers that they were going home at the end of the day with with less fatigue and less pain. And that was just uh, a huge win to hear. All right. And uh, back to you, Josh.
1: There we go. Thank you so much, Chris. Um, So what we just heard about was the the core problem that we're seeing in the world um, of EHS today. Um, It's the challenge that safety functions uh, have getting the resources for worker safety and wellness. And more often than not, this really comes to a lack of of data on the financial benefits of uh, of safety investments. And that's really a shame. Our people are a company's uh, most important assets And caring for them isn't just the right thing to do it's um it's good business so um now what i'd like to do is like to share some exciting trends in technology that are really transforming this profession Um, first i'll take a moment to briefly touch on the history of safety analytics technologies and their evolution second i'll uh, I'll dive a little deeper into video analytics in particular uh, and explain how it addresses some of the challenges with previous technologies and then third, uh, we'll talk about predictive models and um, and how they really work. So uh, let's take a look at the history of safety analytics technologies here. Uh, on the vertical axis, you can see the, the amount of data that's collected by these, um, these devices um, and tools as they've advanced over the last few decades. So let's start back in like the early nineties, um, you had EHS software that was hitting the market. Um, and this really, you know, was a way to aggregate manually entered data uh, to allow for more advanced analytics and reporting internally, but it still did require completely manual data entry, right? Um, then in the you know 2010s, um, telematics like GPS trackers and dongles that um, get attached to vehicles, um, they started to provide a continuous stream of vehicle data that could be analyzed automatically. This was actually the world I was in before this. Um the application um, for this is primarily auto safety. Um, and it allows you to track things like hard braking, quick turns, rapid acceleration, and even collisions. Um, but again, it's tracking the vehicle, not so much the person and the activity associated with that person, right? Then about seven to eight years ago, um, wearables hit the market. And, um, you know, this is a, a, a new kind of technology that was that really is able to track individuals not just like vehicles and equipment, right? Um, it, um, it does allow sort of a new richness of safety data that you never really had access to before for understanding spe- like specifically ergonomic issues, which are the most common cause of workplace injuries today. And while they, they do generate something like 10X more data than telematics solutions, you know, we've, we've definitely seen various um, challenges and many of you might've already tried these in the field, Um, you know, there's a significant upfront purchase cost for one, uh, for all the new hardware, uh, all the new wearables that, that have to be distributed and administered. Um, you don't really get the context on the work tasks that, that are driving like awkward postures and activities that they're detecting. Right. Uh, and then some workers just don't like the feeling of putting on a tracker every day. Right. Um, and if people don't wear them, we don't get the data, of course. So, um. Uh, it, it's difficult to, to draw insights if you, if you only have partial adoption. Um, in comparison to that, then let's talk about uh, video analytics. So really, this is just in the last few years that we've been able to um, build technologies that can actually process this much data. Um, but what's, what's incredible is that we've seen just a, a, a really precipitous drop in the cost of camera systems. And that means they're becoming much more ubiquitous, um, very, very common in the field. Um, they also provide a ton of context, so it's it's a context of everything in the field of view, not just the movement of an individual, but what are the tasks that are really um, driving that that risk that you're measuring. And then finally, it's privacy safe, so there's no trackers on individuals, there's no mapping across scenes, things like that. There's there's no reason to to, um, um, to track individuals per se. Okay, so let's take a moment. Let's dive a little bit deeper into video analytics here. Uh, first, what is it? Video analytics essentially is it's it's a deep learning technology that can create a rich picture of the world, right? Um, and you can train it to do just about anything. Um, you can train it, like in our case, we've trained it to identify um, activities, hazards, and near misses primarily. Um, and it does that by tracking, like you can see on the right, uh, forklifts, goods, and other items, um, other potential hazards, as well as under, uh, tracking the uh, joints, joint angles and body positions. Right. Um, so what's, what's exciting about this right now. And, 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 um, you know, the last few years of advances here is that one, we've seen, um, over 90% of our target customers already have very good coverage with the camera systems they have in place. Um, we're getting something like a thousand times more data talking about, we're talking about a gigabyte of, of data per hour of video. Um, and, and with that, um, you don't need a lot of cameras to get some great insights. We're talking five to 10 cameras can give you coverage over you know, hundreds of people even in an organization. So um, like you can see on the right here, you, know, uh, you can see the system recognizing a forklift. Uh, we even recognize the pose of the forklift. We can see people driving. We can see the state of the blades of the forklift. There are all kinds of uh, insights we can draw from this, and we'll show you a little bit more about that in a minute. So um, using video analytics and these deep learning techniques, we've actually identified 22 visually detectable risk factors, and we're adding to these all the time. Um, But these 22 actually cover something like 90% of workplace injuries. Um, The risk factors uh, that we've come up with are backed by research uh, that's been done by uh, organizations like National Safety Council, um, CDC, and it Research as well. And, um, and they do span all the most common causes of injury. You can see here ergonomics factors, um, struck by factors, slip, trip, fall factors, caught in between uh, factors as well. And we even have some, um, some risk factors that, uh, that predict product damage as well. Now, I don't have time to go into all of these today, but um, we've developed detectors for over 50 hazards and activities so far. So again, our goal here is to help safety teams achieve focus and to make uh, make the case for resources where they're needed. Uh, and that requires bridging a gap that's um, pretty significant here. It's, it's the gap between safety metrics and the financial outcomes um, the safety outcomes like recordables and claims, right? Um, to do that, you need more than just the hazard activities and near misses, you need the actual outcome data too. Um, and with that, you can actually create predictive models like we've done here at comp science. So it takes a lot of data. Um, So to get them, and and why? Because frankly, uh, claims and and injuries are are actually quite rare uh, in comparison to hazards. So what we did was we partnered with the biggest reinsurer of workers' comp in the United States to analyze over 40% of injuries and claims uh, over the last 10 years, huge data set here. Uh, We've married that with over 50 billion images that we've uh, processed, where we identified uh, about 1.8 million safety observations across 50 different hazard types. And when we created the the predictive models, um, what we saw was that uh, there were 22 causal risk factors, um, like some of the ones you just saw. So um, now that we have these predictive models, our customers actually get a much deeper understanding of their current risk posture, Um, rather than looking at having to look at long-term loss trends, injury trends, um, we can actually analyze live hazard data that you've never really been able to quantify in this way before. So our causal risk factors map to the key buckets of loss, like you see here on the right, Um, ergonomics struck by a caught in between slip trip fall. And the reports we generate uh, give you really a data-backed estimation of the impact of eliminating those hazards broken down by cause. Okay, so um, what this enables at its core is a much faster cycle of analysis and improvement. So take this example here of how it often plays out with clients of ours like time and again. Um, Generally, you start with a baseline steady state. This is the starting point. there's some process change that gets implemented. This may be because of a new business process, um, a new line of business, could be a change in workforce, uh, turnover often drives uh, significant changes here, um, or just some new machinery that gets installed. So some change is implemented and this causes unintended consequences um, that really aren't often seen until um, you get maybe some near misses reported or even a trend of injuries um, that get reported over time. And that can take months often. However, um, with a safety analytics system in place, like like what we're talking about here, the team can register a spike in some risk factor, like awkward postures in this case, um, which would include um, an elevated frequency of motions like overhead lifts or working overhead, twisting and bending, crouching, other near misses and things like that. So the team, in this case, you can say you can see how the team would dive into uh, our video review tool to diagnose the cause of these elevated readings, uh, and then come up with a few ideas to decide to introduce maybe, uh, we've seen like inexpensive dollies or a new A-line table like Chris mentioned, um, or a training on proper lifting technique uh, to reduce the strain on the body in these repetitive tasks. And then once that change is in place, the new risk level is confirmed to be even lower than the original baseline, uh, which is you know, obviously a massive win for everybody. And to recap, like, this is what it looks like to catch a, a spike in risk levels before they turn into a trend in injuries, not after. So um, I just spoke to you about how new technologies are, are making predictive models possible and how you can use that to, to make the safety function more proactive. Um, So what does it take to go from vision to execution here? This can't be purely theoretical, right? Uh, Let's put these concepts into action and drive some real change, right? Um, In this last section, uh, I'll speak to four things. One, uh, finding the owner of budget and resources. Two, how to build a business case with predictive analytics uh, to address that budget owner. Uh, Three, how to prove the impact with a structured test. And then four, Finally, how to actually drive those wins across the entire organization as you scale. think like we saw this before, uh, Chris presented this earlier. Uh, this is um, the, the full set of stakeholders that um, uh, have uh, an interest in safety uh, uh, at, at any company. Um, generally, there are two key stakeholders who can actually provide budget and resources outside of the safety org. We're talking internally, we're talking um, operations and finance. Um, Externally, this is often overlooked, Uh, you have your workers' comp carrier or your captive administrator in some cases. Uh, These teams do provide um, uh, loss control, ergonomics, and even discounts for technology that gets adopted, um, like in our case. Um, The the metrics that these two groups care about are are really related to ROI, risks, costs, productivity, turnover, and, and claims. Uh, And if you speak in, unfortunately, if you speak in terms of like DART and T-R-I-R and compliance, often requests are likely to fall in deaf ears. So let's talk about how we bridge the gap here. So first step, um, the first step is to build a business case. Um, OSHA provides a calculator on their website that lays out many of the key components of both direct and indirect costs. Um, You can't forget the indirect costs, which can be two to five times higher than the direct costs of an injury. Um, When you go for budget, uh, speak to the terms that the specific group you're talking to owns. So if it's your carrier, speak to claims and and risk in general. Um, If you're talking to the operations team, speak to productivity interruptions, lost time, turnover, recruiting. We all know it's a very tight labor market today and lost production can be incredibly expensive. Talking to the finance team, speak to insurance premiums, deductibles, OSHA fines. Remind them that um, there are insurance discounts available for companies that use tools like like ours and some of the other ones I mentioned. And then use a predictive model uh, like ours to to estimate the reduction in cost based on a reduction in predictive risk factors um, to make your argument here. Okay, so... Now it's time to build a controlled test once you have your, your argument in place, your, uh, your business case in place. With this controlled test, your goal is to um, prove the value of the work you're doing from a business point of view. You do this in uh, you know a limited um, a limited test with it's, it's low risk um, in order to build this case. Um, use a predictive uh, a comprehensive predictive analytics tool to measure not just the risk factors, but those expected costs to the budget owner. again, here are some of the example causal risk factors that we saw before Um, These have emerged as the really the top drivers of injury and loss in the work we've done. And in the reports that you can get in in this, uh, this is the tool that we provide uh, to our customers. We give you a before and after picture of the expected costs. Uh, We give you benchmarking across facilities and other companies like Uh, like yours. We give you heat maps of um, hotspots of risk. Um, We also provide uh, analysis and recommendations related to repetitive tasks um, so that you can implement some cost-effective interventions like administrative training and engineering changes. Uh, And then finally, um, we we help you close the loop measuring the improvement and validating the business case you made in the prior step. So um, once you've proven the impact with your with your trial, uh, now it's time to scale your wins across the entire company. Um, here's where it's important to have a process for benchmarking across facilities so you can prioritize effectively. Focus on the facilities that um, are most in need first. You know, these are your biggest opportunities. Um, don't let the flavor of the month dominate your strategy here. Um, use predictive data to stay proactive Um, not reactive to uh, incidents that happen um, on a a daily or weekly basis. And then lastly, um, share your benchmark data with operations and finance regularly. Get them to understand those metrics more deeply. Get them to include those metrics in their scorecards to ensure that you can consolidate your wins. When you have commonality in these um, these predictive risk metrics, that's when you are able to up-level the safety function uh, and its priority in the organization. So um, with that, I really want to thank you all for being here today. Um, We didn't invent predictive analytics, um, but we are doing everything in our power to help forward-linking professionals like you across every function to get the tools and the resources that you need to be proactive and as effective as you can be. Um, This movement is all about helping everyone get home safe at the end of the day. Um, Now, um, we all do encounter setbacks. In this world, it's full of competing priorities, but um, we're here at CompScience, we're here to help. So please reach out and we'll help you build a strategy for taking your team to the next level. So
0: thanks. And with that, I'll open up to questions. And back to you, Alan. Well, thank you so much to you both for this fantastic uh, presentation. And before we start the Q&A, we want to remind everyone of the evaluation survey we're asking you to complete. The survey will open in a different screen after this webinar. Your input is important because it'll help us improve our future webcast. And once again, as a reminder to our attendees, if you'd like to ask a question, feel free to click the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen. And again, if we don't get to your question, all unanswered questions will be forwarded along to our sponsor. Um, so our first question, what kind of technical problems do you run into uh, trying to start these kinds of safety programs? Sure, um,
1: I can handle that one. Um, so. You know, early on, um, when this technology was new, um, the challenges we faced were really around integrating with the video management systems. There are a lot of different systems out there, and each system is different. We've really found a way to address those issues by eliminating the need to integrate directly at all. Um, This also eliminates um, IT security uh, concerns as well. Um, Now, the way it works is all you have to do is export video from a system, you export a sample of video, almost like, you know, an an hour inspection would give you a sample of, um, of time to do an inspection on a site. So you export a sample of video, and then you upload it to our tool. Um, And basically, any uh, uh, video management system has that capability. And we can, um, uh, we can process just about any codec that's um, that's open out there. So uh, we've been able to address mo- just most of those technical challenges that we've seen in the, in the market.
0: So next question, you showed a lot of warehouses. Is that mostly where you focus?
1: I can take that one too. I um, mean, yeah, absolutely. We showed a lot of warehouses. Um, uh, certainly any industrial space is um, uh, a focus of ours. Uh, we don't just work in warehouses. We work with um, uh, auto manufacturing companies food processing recycling and waste um is, is very interesting what we're doing transportation and, and warehousing uh, construction materials um frankly anything where there's a significant risk of life and where um either there already are cameras or we can or we can actually place cameras as well
0: um this question is for christopher has this actually saved anyone's life
2: Oh, that's a good question. Um, that's, that's a question we always get in safety. Um, no matter what is, did we save a life? Um, life saves are always difficult to quantify. We're all about stopping, uh, stopping things before it turns into a potentially life-threatening incident. Um, we catch like a hundred times more examples of near misses and collisions and, and thousands and thousands of the unsafe behaviors. Um, if you remember kind of the the Heinrich's model um based off of everything that we've caught I'm I'm confident we've saved at least one uh, from a major tragedy
0: we've got a couple of questions on this um how much does this sort of project typically cost
1: sure I can handle that one um, that's all about scope really um we've um we've done projects that are you know as as, as small as three thousand dollars or so or ones that are Two hundred times that that size. Um, in the end, we we scope it appropriately so that the ROI is at least like three to ten x, um, which is not hard, frankly, um, given that you know the the average cost of a sprain is something like sixty thousand dollars according to OSHA. So um, um, we focus on ROI and, and we scope the um, the project appropriately.
0: Um. So we have another question. Does this send alerts when an accident or near miss occurs, or do you have to review the video to find it? Sure. Um. We
1: uh we have built tools for uh, notifications and alerts. Um. We don't generally recommend that. Honestly, um, we find that those alerts and warnings are generally um, noisier than most teams want uh, are are able to deal with so we've found that thinking about this more as an engineering problem where you start with a baseline um, and a deep understanding of a few weeks of operations and then engineering the risk out of that and then doing a follow-up is a much more valuable um model for most of our customers
0: so our, our next question do workers feel the cameras are spying on them <laughs> sure
1: um we certainly get that one that question a lot um our experience is this um, workers are already accustomed to having cameras at work um we don't really like there's there's really no way to avoid um cameras these days frankly um, there was a recent study that showed that uh, people are on average um, caught on camera 200 times a day and this is just you know out out in the real world um legally, you know, um, a workplace is considered a public space as well. So, um, you know, the cameras are already in place. Um, consent has already been provided. We're not actually gathering any additional data. Um, and so there's no additional like consent that's required or anything like that. Um, this is a tool that, like I said, doesn't track individuals. It provides um, insights on hazards and uh, worker wellness uh, challenges. So it's really aligned with workers in the end. And, and it, certainly it is, uh, worth a conversation with employees about what's being done to help protect them and improve their work, their wellness. Um, and we would, on, frankly, on, on top of that, we would never record or analyze any, any video from it where there's an, um, in an area where there's like an expectation of privacy as well. So with that, we've actually found that the, um, the reception has actually been quite good because, um, if anyone's going to benefit from this, it's the workers that, that, um,
0: that we're, uh, we're working to send home safely at the end of the day. Yeah, we did have an additional question about can the cameras be considered, be made part of a, a company's security system. That sounds like definitely Absolutely. yes.
1: Uh, and that's one of the great things about this is there's no additional investment required to, to deploy cameras or gather the data. Um, these generally are put in place for security reasons, whether it's um, shrinkage,
0: theft, um, or just keeping people safe. Yeah, we did have a question about what type of camera systems work with the software, or is it functionality based on type of file? Um,
1: it's a it's a very broad um, okay. uh, set of cameras that we're compatible with. I'd say uh, one megapixel or more, which anything in the last fifteen years should be. Um, generally, digital uh, digital cameras would be the preference. Um, yeah, it's, it's very broad, um, compatibility. It's almost, almost never have we actually had a system that, uh, was not compatible.
0: Uh, another question, does a client upload the video and how long does it, uh, turnaround take for analysis and reports?
1: Sorry, Chris, do you want me to take this one too? I'll take this one. Yeah, um, right ahead. That's sure. right. The, um, uh, <laughs> upload generally would happen overnight, uh, when people aren't there. So, uh, generally one, one day turnaround on that. Um, analysis can take, we generally, we generally spend about a week or two, uh, analyzing it because we are in, like people like, like our team members, like Chris and, um, our on staff ergonomist, um, are providing insights and recommendations as well. So they really want to understand the, the, um, the work. Um, if we, uh, in, in certain circumstances, we've provided much faster turnaround, like next day turnaround. Um,
0: if those recommendations aren't required. Uh, we do have a question about, do you have any before and after comparative data on TRIR for companies that have made the change to this technology? Absolutely. Yes, um, we do. And we, do you want to take that one, Chris? I can that take that one. one.
2: Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, we had a client actually that uh, when they came to us, they were being uh, non-renewed for their insurance, their workers' comp, because their TRIR had essentially blown up over the last few years. Uh, so it was really driving up uh, a lot of a lot of problems with their insurance. They were like I said, mentioned they were going to be non-renewed. Um, and after a short pilot with us, I think I believe it was six weeks if I'm not mistaken um, we were able to drop their TR TRIR very significantly. I don't have the exact numbers uh, but they were able to keep their workers and com- uh, workers comp insurance and they were actually expected to save about three hundred thousand dollars annually uh, from their premiums uh, from that drop.
0: Kind of, kind of an interesting question here. I've um, I've been hearing more about hearing protection or, or lack thereof, and people say they are unable to hear warning signals, people calling out hazards, etc. Are are you able to see those situations? Can you ask the question
2: one more time? I'm not sure. I sure I. I, I, I what
0: they were it says yeah. It says I've been hearing more about hearing protection or lack thereof, and people are saying they are unable to hear warning signals or people calling out hazards, et cetera. And are, is your technology able to see those situations? Um,
2: Yeah. So we can track things like where um, certain personal protective equipment, like hard hats, hearing protection. Uh, So we would be able to um, identify areas on camera where hearing protection is required or recommended and then we'd be able to set up exclusion zones for the AI. So anytime someone walked into that area, if they weren't wearing the proper PPE, that would be flagged as an event. Yes.
1: Yep. I will. I can add in as well, like so, some customers do send us an audio channel as well. And we can, um, uh, you can identify people calling out as, as well as um, general noise levels. We're not doing like any kind of scientific noise level um, analysis. You'd really need to have a sensor on site where the person is to do that, but we can we can definitely report on um, sound levels. Uh,
0: Our next question. I saw one of your insurance webinars earlier in the year. Is this for self-insured companies or for policyholders of large carriers? And how does this work? Sure.
1: Um, Okay, so two fundamental ways that customers work with us. One is they either buy insurance through us. We provide competitive workers comp quotes that include the software and reports at no additional cost in, in with the workers comp. So that's one way. Um, the other way is if you're if you don't buy workers comp through us uh, you can purchase um, annual licenses um, and get the services in that way. So uh, cap just generally would go with the the software as a service route.
0: Do you have a question what is is there a minimum amount of video that must be uploaded to attain a solid analysis? Um,
1: yes Um Generally, we work with somewhere between 50 and 200 hours of video data. Um, but we've definitely uh, been able to generate some great insights for less than that, just a few hours of data. But generally, we, we like to have a, we like to be um, reporting at a level that's like far superior to what you could do with a manual inspection, which is usually what, like two to three hours of um, uh, of on-site time. Um, we're looking, we generally want to be somewhere in the north of 50 hours, to, uh,
0: upwards of like like 200. How can, um, I, I'll try to read this question the best I can. Um, how can AI kind of help with compliance with OSHA regulations? It's, it's kind of a two part question. Um, so how can AI help with compliance with OSHA regulations? And also we had an AI company installing software and hardware to perform inspections on forklifts, but it was a huge disappointment. And do you have any suggestions? Sure. Uh,
2: can yeah. Yeah. To, um, to the first part about OSHA, um, OSHA standards. As we mentioned, there aren't currently any OSHA standards. They tried at one point. They were repealed. It's very, very hard to set standards when we have so many different body types, body sizes, heights, weights. Um, what we're able to do with our AI is find all of the little unsafe behaviors that would typically lead to a near miss, which would typically lead to a serious injury or a fatality. So what we're hoping is as this technology uh, really grows and we really start building giant data sets, um, companies like OSHA, you know, maybe some ANSI regulation around uh number of unsafe um, forward bends or um, different dips or squats. Um, I had mentioned the Heinrichs model uh, from back in the thirties, but uh, that's that triangle, and we're essentially trying to be as proactive as possible. So, looking at the unsafe behaviors that are that are leading to those. Okay.
0: We got a series. In uh, the questions. second, oh, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Sorry,
2: I think the second half of that question. I think they said that they had some AI for forklift inspections.
0: Correct. Yes. If I'm not
2: mistaken, they didn't have a great. Um, Experience. We actually um, aren't. Yeah, great experience. We aren't working on the inspection itself. Uh, what we what would be we, what we'd be looking at more with the AI is um, did the employee do a walk around? You know, that's something that we can identify with the video, uh, and then the actual unsafe driving. Um, I'm not sure what their experience was, and unfortunately, um, I can't speak to that. But
1: yeah, uh, please do reach out. I'd love to to hear about your experience and see if we can um,
2: mm-hmm.
0: turn you around on the technology. So we got a series of questions about kind of how this technology will work in other areas besides manufacturing. Uh, Among those, uh, uh, kind of go through uh, a couple of them here. Um, Mm -hmm. So what about utility work or outdoor activities like line workers for utility?
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I will say uh, I I think utility work and line work is going to be one of the more challenging ones for us. Um, We do have models for um doing remote inspections where you can gather data from cell phones um so anywhere there's um a cellular signal or even if there's um uh if, if there's not you can record video doing a self inspection there um but I will say certainly field work uh especially utility work is is going to be more of a challenge for us um um were there any other um other spaces
0: yeah yeah there was a new construction field yeah. How can I implement this in the new construction field? Do you want to take that one, Chris?
2: Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, so construction, um, just like uh, manufacturing, if we have a camera, we're able to use that video. So nowadays it's becoming much more common for companies to have um, video on site on um, larger projects and prefab, you know, general, general contractor sites. Um, but that's not the only way into a space like construction. You think about uh, all of the back of the house operations. Um, um, carpenters, home builders have in-house operations where they're building trusses, you know, inside their own plants and then shipping the materials out. Um, that would be a great, great use of our AI there. Yep.
0: <clears throat> so another one was, uh, how would you envision this working in an educational facility? There's equipment in highly populated areas, that sort of thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Educational facilities tend to have a lot of cameras installed these days. Um, and in fact, we've, uh, uh, yeah, we, we have uh, some significant demand
0: from um, uh, educational institutions. Uh, somebody's asking, just asked, any projects done outside of the United States? Yes. Um,
1: we've done projects, uh, a significant number of projects in Japan. Um, they are very safety oriented in Japan. Um, there's some really impressive manufacturing excellence, um, and a lot of influence over uh, other markets, uh, in Asia through them. We've worked with insurance carriers. We've also worked with, you know, large manufacturers like, um, like Honda, um, Toyota and others. Um, also in Latin America, uh, we've, we've had, um, We've done a number of projects in latin america as well somebody
0: was specifically
1: asking india <laughs> we haven't done india yet i think there's tremendous opportunity there
0: okay yeah um another question could uh, kind of forward-looking cameras and vehicles be used kind of example analysis of tow truck or road service personnel hazards uh during a service or tow
1: um what I would say on that one is uh, if there is a dash cam in place, we can definitely tap into the, the dash cam data um, which we have we have not done that yet to be clear. Um, that's that's from my prior world where I did a lot of that. Um, but we would definitely um, we'd love to talk to anyone who's, who's looking to address that space
0: And yeah uh, yet another um, kind of scenario, can this system be used in, in a hospital for patient safety? and if if so, how? This is one where we've, um, I
1: I love all the questions on on new, new applications. (laughs) This is one where we've, we've had a lot of requests for this. Um, we haven't prioritized yet. Frankly, um, we just see so much demand and opportunity in industrial spaces in general, um, that we've, uh, we haven't had time to prioritize hotel spaces, even though I think we all understand that there's a lot of, um, a lot of need for, for workers in healthcare as well as um as well as patients
0: um we do have a question have you worked in retail warehouses that's like things like um areas such as cross dock terminals and kind yeah. of what are the i guess computer requirements there if so
1: i mean yep. absolutely that's our bread and butter um uh retail wholesale trade um warehousing cross docks all of the above i mean that's absolutely our bread and butter um and we find that they generally do have generally good coverage of camera systems, tracking the freight, as well as, as people and safety issues there.
0: Just had another question, how do you uh, convince or persuade a company to give you their video data?
1: Hmm. Well, um, we make it in their interest. We make it a, a very clear ROI case for, uh, for why it makes sense to uh, really take advantage of the data that they're already collecting. Um, we have, um, you know, we, we've built our platform with security and privacy in mind from the ground up. Uh, we've And that's why we've been able to f- get so many great, like Fortune 500 companies as clients to date. Um, so I think that the um, our client roster kind of speaks for itself um, and addresses many of the potential concerns around security and privacy that could come up. and, and then I think the um, the value is just there, um, given that, you know, workplace safety is a very, very big deal. and um, um, it's just good business to focus on these problems.
0: I, I was just curious, <laughs> um, for employers, are there have there been any aha moments when they see kind of these analyses or um, reports? there've been i imagine there are some um yeah do you want to th- can you think of any
2: chris uh well the the example i gave with the conveyors was a pretty big aha moment um we ran the analytics we showed them it was happening uh they went out and did what they thought was best a little bit of training talking to the employees and then they pulled their supervisors about if it was still happening and the feedback was no. So when they came to us, they were saying, you know, this next uh, analysis is going to be great. We're not going to have any. And we actually were finding that they were still having hundreds. Um, It was when people weren't looking and at different times of the day. Um, So they had a pretty big aha moment where they hadn't actually uh, licked that problem. There was actually um, uh, one of the other questions that asked about compute power. Uh, I, I'm not sure if you spoke on that, Josh, but, um, there are not compute requirements, so we're taking existing video that you're already recording, and we are we are computing, we're processing that video. So but military encrypted. Um, once we're done with it, you get it back. There's it's really that video that you would normally delete after a week if nothing happened. We're just able to wring out all this extra data from it. So it's it's the same video you're already collecting.
0: So uh, uh, another question I had: uh, What reactions do employers have when they see some of the safety issues on video?
2: That's uh, that's always a fun one. Um, I always get those uh, uh, those uh, reactions. Um, the reactions are 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 good and bad. I mean, a lot of times it's it's seeing things they never thought would happen. Somebody climbing up uh, on top of a piece of machinery uh, was one. We had a, an instance of. Someone driving a forklift in reverse for like 20 feet while reading paperwork, not looking behind them, just truly, you know, for me, the safety guy, terrifying things that we were seeing. Um, So when those pop up, you know, we have those those quick conversations and uh, uh, some reactions are good. Some are, you know, yeah, we've seen that before, but um, definitely some big things we catch.
0: I guess, do you all provide any advice or, or best practices when it comes to employers correcting employees for behaviors or kind of postures that are seen on video? Oh, absolutely. So when
2: we analyze that data, the what you're getting is a report with um, the numbers, everything that we caught. Um, we relate it to your specific in uh, industry. We have you know, benchmark benchmarking data that we have internally, as well as, you know, BLS data Bureau of Labor Statistics. So we can benchmark you against other companies doing the same thing. Uh, And then we go through and we make recommendations. So anytime we find a hazard, we prioritize it, we give you the, the, either the low hanging fruit that we can fix pretty easily or the, Hey, this is really bad. We're going to hurt somebody today. Uh, And we prioritize prioritize those for you and then give recommendations on how to correct and then we actually, um, depending on the, the structure of your account, we have uh, certain action tracking um, abilities where we have one-on-one conversations with your on-site safety professional, um, with my, myself or my team, and we we can coach. We can live coach. We can, we can give you recommendations, everything from behavior to uh, we make engineering um, and administrative control recommendations as well.
0: We do have a question about kind of, how many years, uh, does it take for you to come from the concept to reality of an AI application? <laughs> that's a, it's a great question. Um,
1: it does depend on your team for us. Uh, it took us about three years, uh, to build a product that really lives up to the expectation that we, and, you know, the carriers we work with have, um, it's, um, and one of the first things goes back to someone asked, like, how do you convince people to share your data? Well, you you have to be able to provide value uh, in order to develop that trust. Um, and that was certainly uh, you know so getting getting data, not just the video data, but also the claims data. It it um it took a lot of uh, a lot of hard work, and um, now thanks to the partnerships we developed and the, and the customers that have participated in early trials. About um, three years later, we've got a product that's um, that's really exciting, and I think is is, is ready f- um, to be on stage with the the National Safety Council
0: today. <laughs> I did have a, a, at least one more remaining question. Um, can you expand upon the the value add your folks like such as Christopher bring along with your product, and what does that typically look like in practice?
2: <laughs> yeah, um, so I think uh, I think this. Came through before I answered the last question. Um, okay. those reports that we're generating, the live recommendations. Um, you know, I won't call it hand holding. There's a, a certain level with each client. Some people have full-time safety professionals where we give them the hard data and they analyze it themselves. They, you know, match it with loss runs and their own analytics. And we have clients that don't, that don't have a full-time safety, or it's that person that wears 10 hats and has. 10% of the amount of time, and we can spend a lot more time with them, giving actual recommendations, showing them things that have worked for other clients and, uh, you know, making sure that everybody improves.
0: I was also curious, what is the, we spoke about prof, um, working with safety professionals earlier. What's kind of been the reaction from safety professionals at uh, at these facilities? Um, I would imagine that this is by, by and large considered a helping hand to them. Oh
2: yeah. I'll, I'll tell you my own reaction. So um, I've been waiting for a product like this for a very long time. Um, I come from the insurance industry, um, occupational safety and health, but working with insurance companies. So I've seen how much data is out there. And I've always looked for something like this. So I geek out about it. Uh, It's been my reaction that, that others uh, really, really see the advantages and the opportunity um, with this, with this type of software.
0: Well, as we approach the end here, any, uh, closing sh- thoughts from you gentlemen? Um, we really appreciate you taking all of these questions. This is, just, these are quite a few and, uh, and, and for your time and in consideration as well.
1: well. Uh, honestly, we're, we're very honored to, uh, to be invited to speak to you guys here today. Um, we're huge fans of national safety council and, uh, we've taken MSD pledge and, um, uh, thank you to everyone who joined today. Um, you know, I, I uh, um, I'm just very excited to, uh, to be a part of this, this movement and, and please do reach out if we can be helpful at all.
0: Okay. Well, yeah, thank you so much. Um, this ends today's Safety Health Magazine webcast. We'd like to thank Josh Butler, Christopher Mizell, the entire team from our sponsor, CompSAN, of course, all of you who joined us today, take care and be safe.